Hello, listeners. This is episode two of the Alex Waters Show. And um, yeah, week two. So if you haven't listened to episode number one just yet, I highly recommend it. Um, it had a lot of really good feedback from it. Uh, Andrew Hagen was our guest and uh, just a really, really fucking interesting dude. So, and we, we chatted a lot about business and a lot of different things. Um, but I'm excited to get into this episode this week. Um, I had Mitchell Vicarage on and, and we recorded this interview via Zoom as well. It was done during the COVID lockdown period. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Mitch, I've known for a number of years. He's such a fascinating human, had a number of different turning points in his life. You know, the guy t- almost uh, died on the operating table, um, like just some crazy, crazy things. And um, one thing I, I've really liked about Mitch, I really admire about him is he's always just done incredibly well at whatever he does. And he's kind of got this uh, this attitude and this energy, which almost feels like everything he does is, is easy and seamless for him. I'm kind of jealous and envious of it. Um, but yeah, just a, just a great quality human being. We, we go real deep in this episode. We talk about plant medicine, uh, his journey and what, you know, what kind of went on there and, and his whole health story. Um, if you're interested, particularly in, uh, in your health, which, you know, just a side note, if you're a human being, it's probably a good thing to be interested in uh, <laughs> because, you know, otherwise you're going to die. Uh, I think you'll really get a lot out of this episode. So I'm looking forward to getting into it, looking forward to you getting value, um, you know, and connect with me on Instagram and um, shoot me some comments uh, and your feedback. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. But here we are, episode number two of the Alex Water Show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Alex Waters Show. Well, hi, and thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Alex Waters. Uh, Today we have life and health coach, Mitchell Vickridge, who has a fascinating journey, uh, including having a near-death experience whilst battling Crohn's disease. Um, and we're talking about his journey to finding fulfillment and happiness as a man. I can't wait to get into this and share with you the turning points in Mitch's life. Mitch, thanks so much for coming on the show, bro. Like After having known you for a number of years, watching your story mm-hmm. unfold, I'm really excited to get into it even deeper and share with our listeners. You know, you're someone I'm honestly really inspired by your approach to life and determination to succeed. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. And yeah, I'm actually really, really excited to... um just give value and hopefully someone and many that are listening, yeah, get something out of it. So let's fire away. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, you know, in, in like preparation for this, I just did a quick Google search on it, which is always a pretty interesting thing. Um, <laughs> I found a video of you post winning the 2014 IAA Omara Classic Bodybuilding Championship. So for the listeners, you're a pretty big dude. And for the time I've known you, tell us about your journey into bodybuilding what got you started? Um, I actually only got to the deepest root of why I started about two and a half years ago when, you know, the whole world comes crashing down, lost my bank account, partner, my ego, my identity, my body, like everything. And you end up asking yourself, you know, things like, how the fuck did it get all this way? <laughs> you know? Mm. And what I realized is that bodybuilding, which, you know, I have zero regrets for, has taught me so much. Still do it to some degree. I'm not, you know, Running common, but I do lift things on any occasion. Yeah, um, is that it came from a deep desire to save, and it started all out with what I realised now and what I realised uh, more recently was that it it came from you know not being bullied and wanting to be bigger than the other dudes to beat them up, not because I was insecure, wanted to get the chicks. It actually came from my childhood when um, I first experienced a very very powerful moment of feeling powerless. It was a powerful moment, but I felt completely powerless. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but it was a family event. There was some violence involved and I was too young to do anything about it. Mm. And so, I mean, as I'm sure many people know that young ones are extremely impressionable and events and experiences and emotions are extremely powerful uh, to the human mind and being. So uh, in that moment, I felt extremely powerless. And so, you know, a couple of weeks later, this cartoon called Dragon Ball Z appeared on the screen for the first time ever. And, you know, that was the first moment of seeing something so impressionable, the hero archetype, the one that fights for justice, the one that wants to save and fights for good, et cetera, et cetera. And also equally doesn't give up when there's pain apparent. Mm. 
you know, mm. pushes through pain, always mm-hmm. moves forward, doesn't matter. Nothing gets in their way, keep going. So I was, a, you know, most involved with gymnastics as a, as a kid, which, you know, my parents and I blessed them for putting me into that. It, it taught me so much more than just the physical aspect. Uh, but when I got to the um, moment of think about 13, 14, I was at Mickey D's flipping burgers and I'd saved enough money for a membership to go to the gym because both my older brothers were in rugby and they were doing the gym as well. And um, so I'd signed up and, and the moment I literally finished, you know, all my paperwork and stuff like that and signing my life away, I went over to the free weight section uh, and then saw a two-time Mr. Australia uh, squatting you know, an enormous amount. It would have been 250, 260 kilos like it was water. And of course, that was just fucking signing up, done. You know, that was the real life version of this deeply rooted reason as to why I wanted to help and save and fight and, and all these things. So that's really how it started at a very deep level. Like, but the love of it, I mean, the love of discipline and the love of, of growing, and I don't just mean muscle, you know, you're growing mentally and physically, and even I would argue spiritually. Um, when you're always leaning into resistance and growing your comfort bubble and leaning into pain and discomfort, it teaches so much to you about yourself. And so I developed a deep love for it and um, love everything it taught me, every experience and every opportunity it gave me, um, all the people involved. It's a beautiful journey and um, yeah, zero regrets. But that's, yeah, circumventing. That's where kind of where it all started. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, and like, obviously, I mean, we were just before we started recording this, we were talking about how I just started running again and how that's been such a, a catalyst for pushing through a lot of mental uh, resistance and emotional mm. resistance as well. Like what has bodybuilding given you that you, you just now apply to your life? Definitely the number one thing is discipline. Yeah. You know, I mean, when it's all too easy to live in our comfort bubble, and I think we're seeing that a lot now, people are being pushed out of their comfort bubble and it happens all the time. Uh, I remember hearing a favorite quote once, one of my favorite quotes is, it's never about stopping the ocean waves, but learning how to surf. Yeah. And this idea of we all have this, you know, this, this idea of a comfort zone and when we live in it, of course, it's comforting, but it's, it's detrimental to the soul because we're not growing. It's one of our human, six, you know, core human needs, as, as Tony Robbins would tell us. And so when you have limitations of growth, you're going to feel like a prisoner of your own mind, a prisoner of your own soul, so to speak. So bodybuilding has definitely taught me the, the essence of discipline and what it means to actually then grow your comfort bubble and learn how to love pain, learn how to lean into discomfort and ultimately grow from the lessons that you receive from that. And it's, it's nothing you can read in a university book. It's something you have to go and experience. And so I'd say that's number one, you know, other things just like general respect, focus, beautiful mindset, all these things carry into everyday life. They carry into business. They carry into even relationships. Probably many, many you know, pivotal things that bodybuilding has given me for sure that have absolutely helped change me for the better. Mm. Despite the <laughs> process of deterioration as well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that for my personal journey yeah definitely yeah, sure. you know so, something i'm really uh, like i'm really interested to unpack here and a part of this this episode is that we all have like different challenges and turning points in our life and some of us take the opportunity that's in front of us and and some of us don't and it's like that mindset and how we handle the emotions and the challenges that come our way that actually define what kind of life we get to live and I think a, a big part of this and what, what people are always questioning is, you know, what's my purpose and, and what am I here to do? So I was curious to know, have you always wanted to be in the health and fitness industry and what, what led you towards it? Cause you obviously you're a, you know, a health and uh, what, what's your role now? You're a health coach, life coach. Myself, the human mechanic. Human mechanic? <laughs> cool. I love human that. Mechanic, yeah. Help fix, people fix their own bodies. Yeah. 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 So, so have you always wanted to, to be in that, you know, this kind of industry, obviously your role in it has changed over time, but it's sort of the same thing. Yeah. I, I think I give power to, or merit to um, probably a couple of things. Number one, my parents just threw me into a lot of sports when I was young. I was, I was very grateful for that. You know, when we're, as I'm sure you know, and maybe to the listeners too, when we're super young and even prenatal and from the moment we're born to, to the ages of six, seven, eight, we're in the download phase. So I was downloading all these things about sports and movement and dominant movement patterns and sports and all that kind of stuff. And so I probably attribute a lot of that to just the fact that when I grew up, I just had, was involved in sports and involved in movement. You know, now with this, this more holistic approach and, and health and, and a little bit more awareness, um, it's very health-based. Prior to that, it was very much like get shredded and the health can be on the tail end, right? Yeah. So it definitely took a turn uh, after many of these experiences, but I would say the biggest attribution would be... Um, would be to the fact that when I was young, I was involved in it. And then I think I just had a keen interest. You know, gymnastics, again, much like bodybuilding, the discipline, the respect, the reverence, 
uh, the grace, even some of the feminine characteristics like grace and poise and beauty. When you're moving your body in that way and, and you're learning how to develop the body, this, this human organism, it fascinated me. And bodybuilding was one of those things because, like I said, deeply rooted from this childhood traumatic experience of then going, I can sculpt my body to the way that I saw in these cartoon characters and the process it takes of just chip, 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 day in, day out when you're working on that project, you know, or um, when you're that passionate about something, that's what, you know, captivates people. And so, yeah, it was initially more about the essence of that uh, journey of bodybuilding and crafting. And then it became one that's now deeply rooted around health because, you know, there's that, I think it's an Indian proverb of, you know, when you have, when you're healthy, you have, you know, a thousand desires, but when you sick, you have all but one. Yeah. And so this is just my truth. This is my absolute truth. And it's, it's what I live by now is, is living a healthy life because everything that comes under that then gets to be enjoyed. You get to enjoy your business more. You get to enjoy your family more. You get to enjoy travel, exploring this beautiful organic spaceship. You get to enjoy everything. Mm. And uh, not in an obsessive way either, in a very, again, sustainable and um, balanced way. You know, health that becomes obsessive, ironically, becomes unhealthy, right? Yeah. So yeah. keeping a yeah, really clear lens and a, and a healthy perspective on health bit of the irony in, in that one mm. um is yeah how how i am where i'm at now you know 28 going on 29 and you know i'll be somewhere else in another 10 years but this is where i'm at now these are my absolute truths and, and the big pivotal theme is is a healthy mind body and soul yeah i totally resonate with that and uh especially turning 30 this year it's not that i feel old but i've become aware of my mortality <laughs> yeah uh, i mean that kind of leads into my next question because you aren't 30, but you have had a, an experience that most people probably would never, won't ever face in their life. You know, tell us about Crohn's disease. Like, what is it? What does it mean if you have it? And tell us your journey with it. Yeah, well, just real quick before I dive into that, you know, yeah. most people would change through pleasure or pain, right? So if, you know, hit a midlife crisis and then people are like, you know, 40, 50, I'm very blessed that I get to receive it at 26, 27. So I remember reading once, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's simplicity is the, is the ultimate form of sophistication. And I think what's happened in, in modern world is we've way too overanalyzed and way too compartmentalized health. It's a very, very simple concept. A body at ease is healthy. A body not at ease is in disease and it's unhealthy. And we can go through the location and symptom relative to the level, like, you know, the acute phases and the subacute and then the chronic and then the super degenerate. And so when you hear the word Crohn's disease, I mean, that could mean anything. That's just a label that someone's given them. It was a label that I was given. It then gave me an identity and you shape your whole entire life around this, this model, this allopathic model that we have called disease, right? What medical doctors loosely call diseases. You know, my experience was uh, walking into an office after I had this bout of bleeding and IV hydrocortisone and antibiotics and all these you know, terrible things. And I was in hospital for two and a half weeks to be told not only by, you know, these prestigious medical experts, and this is not a rag whatsoever, but the people that you put the most trust and faith into to say, I don't know what, we don't know what causes it. We have no idea how to treat it, but the best thing we have right now is these drugs. And if you don't take them, you risk surgery or bowel cancer. And that's like pretty much it, right? That's at the basic level. Many are changing now. We can get to that conversation around it. Many, thankfully, are changing that now. But that's been a very, very strong paradigm and is still to this day. In fact, I received a message last week from someone who said, uh, they just got the diagnosis and they were told that their diet and lifestyle has no effect on their diet, uh, their, their condition, which is just utter crap. And, you know, this paradigm needs to change, but it, it, it's, it's happening the way it needs to, right? It happens out of breeding chaos and all these, you know, things that through evolution, we go, hold on, this is an old model. It's outdated and we now need to progress to this new model. So to kind of circumvent all of this, what is Crohn's disease? It's a damaged gut. It's a very, very confusing ulcerative colitis, diverticulitis, diverticulosis, gastritis, enteritis, proctitis, any kind of artist you want to put on it. It's a very loose term for location and symptom. But it's very, very confusing to the individual that doesn't understand even the basics of anatomy, the basics of physiology, the basics of nutrition. And so the easiest way to put it, I tell all people, is like, you know, imagine me giving the cars to your dream car, giving the keys to your dream car. And, you know, I'm 28 years old. And I say to someone, now imagine if you drove that car for 28 years and didn't service it once. Mm. How would it drive? You know shit's going to start breaking down if you're not maintaining the integrity of the, the organism, right? And so, yeah, when people say Crohn's disease, I've also colitis. I go, what, is, what does that mean to you? And they go, well, I have pain. Well, where does the pain originate from? Well, I have bleeding. Well, where does it originate from? And you realize if you just keep going back to simplicity, back to simplicity, back to simplicity, you just have a damaged gut to whatever degree, like it's, it's not black and white, to whatever degree, to you, the individual, right? And so research is always um, generalized. Prescription is always specific to the individual. 
Mm. So, so what is Crohn's disease? Well, it's probably a damaged gut that we have to go into why you got those symptoms and then why it got to the point you feel like you needed to get a colonoscopy or a doctor to say you've got Crohn's disease. Yeah. And same as ulcerative colitis, same as enteritis, same as gastritis. You have simply allowed your body, conscious or unconscious, to get to the point it was damaged, right? And the body's always self-healing. It's a self-healing mechanistic organism, right? If I cut my arm, I don't have to ask, so can you please heal me? Beautiful body. It just does it, right? Yeah. So if our rate of regeneration is superseded by a rate of damage, yeah. to whatever degree, you're only as strong as the weakest link, eventually one link is going to break and you're going to notice a symptom. I love how simple you've just pretty much summarized any like and all health issues. <laughs> all of them, yeah, literally. Yeah. Even, uh, even you know, for many, like the arthritis, even the cancers, yes, I'm going to yeah. go there. Even yeah, the yeah. neurological, sure. the MS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, ALS, yep. all of it. Yeah. What's that? Is at the rate of the rate of regeneration is surpassed by the rate of damage, then it'll it'll cause. Um, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit like a tipping point. You know, it's a bit yeah. like a glass of water. If you you know, I, I call the glass of water our genetic blueprint, right? Some people are born with, unfortunately, great genes. Some people are unfortunately born with terrible genes, right? That's just life. Life isn't always equal, and that's kind of the, the way it's perfectly designed. And so, if you keep filling your your glass up right you have buffering systems we have a cholesterol buffering system we have a calcium buffering system we have lots of buffering systems to defend us right kind of like soldiers in a roman empire right? and eventually if the, the army of disease or damage or nutrient deficiencies or environmental pollutants whatever it is that's affecting your roman empire you're going to find a hole there so with the glass if you're consistently yeah. filling it up you know we have surface tension at the top and you kind of feel it and feel it feel it, and eventually it's just going to spill over yeah Right, so at that point, you're going to notice symptoms, and it's going to take a little bit for you to actually reverse that and get to a point. You don't just change your diet and in three days expect, you know, hunky dory. Um, but it, yeah, it's much like a tipping, you know. And if you if you're at that tipping point and you're passing on those genes, this is why we're seeing so many children now with neurological disorders, chronic disease, autoimmune, asthma, eczema, like all of these things, because the parents are simply passing on that genetic memory. Like it's the cellular integrity. Man shoots semen, woman feeds the eggs, and then boom, that's a cellular memory plus the unique imprint of this soul now coming into the earth with unfortunately weakened genetics. And you're seeing the decline, right? Yes, we're living longer. We have access to food and clean drinking water and sanitation, all those things. They're beautiful. Um, but we're seeing a lot of shitty quality of life that is a direct result of how we're choosing to live. Mm. And if the new paradigm comes through, which is one of personal responsibility and ownership and empowerment, um, that sets us up for a beautiful, beautiful decrease in what we're seeing now. Mm. But the United States of America, half of children over the age of, um, so under the age, I think it was of nine, I might butcher this, um, either pre-diabetic or diabetic. That's a joke. That's an absolute joke. Mm. So these WHO and the CDCs and everyone that's saying they're looking after us and all this, what a load of shit. I mean, the evidence is right there. They obviously don't because this is not about vaccines. It's not about drugs. This is human behavior. This is about individual ownership and sovereignty. This is about teaching people how to empower themselves to own their body be empowered with their choices so they can take care of them and also not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need yeah. pharmaceutical drugs. We need hospitals. We need to sell. Of course, this is not a one-sided argument. Yeah. Um, there's, I think, just a middle ground. And so the reason I think I went on this tangent is because all this is imperative, you know, either to the viewers uh, or to the current paradigm we have, which is we need to wake up to the fact that we have a body and we are responsible for it on, on mm -hmm. so many ways, in so many ways. So, um, Bro, tell us your journey with with your illness mm. and the events that you know occurred. Because if we rewind a few years, I just remember seeing on social media a post of you basically in a nappy with like tubes hanging out of you, and you look like a rake. And mm. if you're not watching this and you are listening on the podcast, I highly encourage you just to Google Mitch Mitch Vickridge. And you'll see he's a really big dude. And, and if you find his Instagram, which I'll, I'll um, throw in at the end, you'll be able to scroll back far enough and find this, this photo. It was quite yeah, confronting. Yeah, I, yeah quite confronting. And obviously, like, that was your near-death experience. Like, tell us about that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, um, I was a fucking dickhead. <laughs> you know, we're, we're young, dumb and stupid and still a little bit of that, that holds true. A little bit of wisdom seeping through now, but... You know, this is a game where you just got to own, own, own your bullshit and clean out your own dirty laundry. You know, I was living a life certainly not conducive, conducive to lots of things that I, again, have no regrets to, but certainly not conducive to optimal health and performance. And that, again, on optimal emotional health, optimal mental health, optimal physical health, 
and even I would say optimal spiritual health, I think I was bypassing a lot of things. But like I said, and not anyone's fault, when I first got that diagnosis at 20, so I'm nearly 29, that first diagnosis at 20, I had been driving my car for 20 years, right? So yeah. still that break the camel's butt. So by the time I had this spillover, this tipping point busted, and I'm you know bleeding out my ass 20 times a day, and all this craziness is happening, holy shit, like I'm my whole life ahead of me, I'm, I'm about to go for the nightclub. No, you're not, you're going to hospital. And then to be told by someone, your lifestyle and your nutrition have nothing to do with it. Therefore, in my mind, by trusting, you know, this is again, mm. about trusting other people, so to speak, some lack of distrust, it's just where we're at with the systems, is then will that allow me to bypass my own responsibility? Mm. Okay? So it's, it's, it's always two parts. I say, you know, doctors are getting tired. Stop blaming doctors. Stop blaming big pharma. I went through a big phase. Fuck big pharma. Fuck doctors. They're good at that real shit. You know, that's just me and my wounded ego. What you eventually come to is a point where, you know, there's no one at fault, but it's just two parties to play. But it still comes back to, again, identifying what is it you're doing to either cock block yourself or get in your own way and cause the demise of your organism. So for me, I mean, coming around back now to the question is for the first 20 years of my life, I was, I was driving my car from genetic blueprint, you know, my mother's side, uh, a lot of uh, digestive issues and uh, probably way too many vaccines. I'm not pro or anti-vaccine, but probably way too many antibiotics. Uh, I lived on KFC, McDonald's, you know, Hungry Jacks, you name it, fizzes, chocolate, whiz sticks, Gatorades, the lot. And thank God I was probably doing so much sport to burn the calories off um, and also probably mitigate a lot of that damage. Uh, but then, you know, at 14 into bodybuilding on the seafood diet, seafood, you eat it, all the calories, all the protein, uh, incredibly, incredibly intense training. I, mean, I was trained by a world champion and again, very blessed, but the training was ridiculous. Doing blood noses, being slapped around, you know, brutal training. Uh, then throw anabolic steroids on top of that. Then throw stress on top of that. Then throw trying to launch a business on top of that. Then throw, you know, lack of whatever it is, being a kid, going out clubbing. Uh, eventually, you're going to bleed out your asshole, <laughs> right? Oh. Eventually, your body's going to say, fuck you, and it's going to bleed out your asshole, or it's going to be a pain in your chest, or it's going to be a pain in your liver, or it's going to be a pain yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Which is your body's beautiful way of saying, I love you, please stop hurting me now. Yeah. And so, you know, down I went the rabbit hole of drugs and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and, oh, that didn't work. We'll try your Imuran. No, that doesn't work. Try immunosuppressive. This is a TNFA, you know, uh, infliximab, all the usual process of the paradigm that kind of fits you into a box and pushes you and says, your life had nothing to do with the result you're experiencing. We don't know what causes it, but here you go. And so I went down that journey for about six years uh, to the point of my deterioration because, like I said, I, I wasn't owning my shit. Mm. I was trying things here and there. I was like, oh, you know, cold therapy, oh, a bit of this, a bit of fasting, a bit of this. But I wasn't wrapping my head around the whole picture and nor was I implementing it, right? Knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge is the true power, right? Mm. Um, mm -hmm. You ask an overweight person, uh, not there's any condescending nature or, or resonance to this, but you ask any overweight person, how do they lose weight? And they'll tell you, well, diet and exercise. Yeah. Well, why haven't you done it, right? It's yeah. these blocks that we place upon ourselves or the limitations we put in it that are imposed upon us, right? Again, conscious or unconscious. So that was about six years, give or take. I was bodybuilding still. You know, I remember the Arnold Classic. Um, uh, when I completed the Arnold Classic, I was that morning when I had to make way and I was bleeding. And I was in a hotel room and I was bleeding. And I was bleeding. And I was stressed and I was bleeding. And I was like sub 6% body fat on stage, just having a smile and it's all good, you know, and bleeding out the back. And you just wouldn't otherwise know, right? And so, you know, again, a normal person <laughs> would go, wow, I'm bleeding out my butt. I should probably do something about that. Uh, but when it's so deeply rooted in, you know, got to save people, got to show you're this big, strong person, you've got to fight for justice and keep pushing through pain and it's all good. You'll be okay. Uh, I got my ass handed to me big time, big time. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me, right? I unfortunately hurt a lot of people in the process and that's the nature of no one's, no one's perfect. Uh, you know, this is again, we're doing our shit. We're all, we're all human. Uh, let's all get off our high horses and TV sets. And, um, yeah, I lost everything. I lost, you know, my career. I lost my partner. I lost my job. I lost my job because I couldn't work. I lost everything. I lost my identity. You know, who people thought I was, this big, tough bodybuilder guy. And yeah, eventually just, you know, I, I was, you know, moving this forward. Now I remember when at my, my worst before I got the surgery, uh, I lived in darkness for four months and barely slept. Probably not a wink of a, a sleep, probably one to two hours per night. I was in so much pain. My adrenal glands and my nervous system was under that much, and my immune system was under that much stress. I couldn't even handle light. Wow. So I, I, I had my housemates uh, aluminium foil my windows and, and curtains, and I just lived in darkness for four months. Wow. Uh, slowly dying. And it was this idea that, um, you know, my own stupidity, 
because I got to my when I when I realized how to take care of myself on, on a very basic, let alone even advanced level now, and still so much to learn. I, I carry that humility. Is it was just too late. The pile of shit was too deep. It's like piss in the ocean. Once it's there, you, you know you can't take it back. So I needed a surgery. My my body was septic. I had holes in my bowel wall. I was just so so ill. My C-reactive protein, for anyone knows, is a, is a systemic measure of inflammation and infection. Uh, Healthy is under five. My levels read seven hundred and forty something. Oh, wow, my dear, I had twenty six or twenty seven biomarkers out of place. By the time I eventually said, "Okay, my liver's failing, my this is failing," and I couldn't really even think straight, to be honest, um, I was admitted straight to hospital. And so, yeah, moving this forward now that I'm in hospital, um, you know, a lot happened uh, that I won't go into. So there's more of the emotional side of things, which we, we can touch on, but not yet is uh, they wanted to fatten me up because by this point I was so frail, bag of bones, ready to die. And so I was given, you know, a sub 5%, 10% chance of survival if I got the surgery then. So they wanted to put a line through my jugular and feed me what's called temporal nutrition, TPN. Uh, it was just basically amino acids, fatty acids, and glucose in a bag. They give you some sort of nutrients to try and put the weight on. Lo and behold, within 48 hours, I'm getting worse. You know, I looked at the ingredients, my God. Just, but they, they do it for the sole purpose of just... You know, it's cheap and they want to put fat on you. Anyway, cut a long story short, they wanted me in there for a month. Within, I think, three or four days, I had the senior professor then come in and just say, Mitchell Vicarage, nice to meet you. Sign these papers or you'll be dead tomorrow. I never met this woman before. So uh, I signed them pretty quickly and I was on the table and I had my entire large intestine ripped out of me. Wow. It was the most decimated thing the entire team in gastroenterology had ever seen. Uh, it was completely septic. It was just thick and inflamed through lymphatic fluid, blood, there was polypsis, holes, bacterial infections, uh, definitely cancerous cells. No question in my mind that would have been uh, cancerous or precancerous cells, uh, just completely decimated. So for anyone that slightly knows some anatomy from my terminal ileum, which is essentially the end of your small intestine, which then goes through your ileocecal valve and then into your ascending colon, all of my ascending, transverse, descending, and half of my sigmoid colon, colon uh, before you get to your rectum and your anal cavity, uh, is completely out. Uh, so I was fitted with a bag, a colostomy bag, uh, for 12 months while I recovered. They, they were able to, they say, you know, I begged them to say, you know, I want to do a reversal in due time. Here's me still bargaining. I'm ready to die. And so I lived with a bag for a year, which taught me some beautiful things about surrender and letting go and unconditional love for the self. And, uh, yeah, November of 2018, I think from memory, uh, yep. Uh, I had the reversal. So they took the bag away, got the end of my small intestine and reattached it to the last part of my sigmoid colon. Sure. So there's just I have no gut microbiome. Like all this research on gut microbiome activity is fascinating to me. Um, but then I'm like, wow, this doesn't line up with how I'm personally living because here's me with no, no gut microbiome. Um, yeah, because you don't have a large intestine. Because not a large intestine, which is where the majority is very, very little um, sure. bacteria in your small intestine. You actually you don't want it, otherwise you suffer from you know SIBO, small intestinal yeah. bacterial overgrowth. So wow. I mean, yeah. So then, nah. so then at that point, so just real quick. So at that point, then when, uh, you know, my CRP dropped immediately overnight, all this blood work started coming back in, but I had a shitload of work to do. I had to regrow my nervous system, regrow my, my everything. My liver had failed basically. Um, I had to regrow everything. I had to go through a lot of detoxification and rebuilding and nutrification, da, 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 da. Plus all the emotional and spiritual work that I, that I chose to do to eventually get to this point where I can happily say, I mean, my body uh, with cocaine energy 24 seven and I don't use coffee you know, feeling beautifully free emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically, and live a beautiful, blessed life. Very grateful for it. Uh, it took a lot of work, but here we are. Mm. Did you, like in that process, you know, what were you thinking when you like were on the way to the hospital or got admitted? Like, was this, were you just in so much pain you had to go? Did you have to call an ambulance? Like, how did that happen? And, and what were you thinking and feeling? Yeah. So like I said, I had this bigger version to having something cut out of me. Like I just, I had in my head, you know, I can save myself. I've got this, you know. And um, like I said, I was just at the point of no return. Had, had I done what I tried to do two years prior, I am absolutely guaranteeing without any empirical evidence that I would have done it and reversed it. But I was just too late. Um, I think at that point I'd surrendered to so much. I didn't really care anymore. I'd actually surrendered to the idea of death. You know, many people say that they have no fear of death and, or, or maybe they do, but there's something to like, you know, uh, compartmentalize the process and idea of death and then actually experiencing holy shit you know no, i'm about to go gotcha and then you have you have the complete loss of your ability to hold on so i explained it to someone not long ago it was actually I did a post about this in those moments it's like you know in in the way the physical universe works on planet earth at least um we have this thing in water called buoyancy right you can swim by kicking around and using the water to your advantage 
when it comes to the moment of surrendering, whether it's the ego, the self, all of these things, and even death itself, um, it's like buoyancy disappears. You're still in the water, but the ability for buoyancy disappears. And so you just start falling with no ability to pull yourself back up. Or it's a bit like, you know, water through a sieve. There's just, there's, there's mm-hmm. no escaping it. You have no choice. So there was that element to, to know that, you know, even if all the medicine journeys I'd done and breathwork journeys done, there was nothing like actually coming to the moment where I had gone, I actually surrendered to death. Well, I have no choice, <laughs> right? And it's very, very peaceful. It's very, very blissful. Um, death is easy. Life is hard. So, you know, in those moments death where, you know. Death is easy. Life is hard. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great line. Yeah. If there's anyone that actually, you know, for, in terms of, you know, I have to be aware that there are viewers listening. If there's anyone that has a fear of death or even, you know, at the point of grieving someone that they've lost to them, you know, and I, and I, and I studied for about a year of people that had NDEs and even people that had died clinically and medically and had come back to life. And all of their stories are basically the same. You know, I would say 99.9%, if not all of them, line up. Um, complete bliss and utter ecstasy. Words will not do justice for where, you know, the soul, uh, you know, depending on your religious and spiritual beliefs. I'm just, I'm just relaying again my absolute truth and what I've studied for, for a couple of years now. Absolute bliss, peace, joy, light and love. Like you cannot even fathom. No words in the English language or any language for that matter will describe the feeling of leaving your body. Um, you know, medicine journeys, I imagine, definitely much take us there. Breathwork journeys, very much take us there. Meditation. You, you, actually, you actually, like, did you die at any point? Um, no, but certainly glimpses of being out of my body. And I just remember this constant flux of like, it's not, you know, there's too much to, to live and do and explore. And, it, and like it, the, the, the message was like, take, there's too much information, too much love, experience, travel. There's just too much. It's not your time, right? So you can continue like the way you are, but you come back into your body. You can go to sleep, but you're waking up. And then the other polarity to that was, there's just too much to give back. There's too much to do. There's too much to serve. Your time is not up. The, the soul message was clear. Your time is not up. So there was these constant dissolutions. I'm sure I was in, you know, clinical um, vegetable state, if you will, but certainly, you know, on a, like I said, more of a spiritual level out of my body moments where I, I couldn't even identify with who I was. And at those moments, pain was gone. Like there was no pain after I'd experienced the worst, the worst, the worst, there was, was no, there came a point where even before the surgery, there was, was no more pain for whatever reason, my being soul, psyche, essence, decided that pain feeling pain that i had feeling it it was time to kind of be out of my body somewhat mm. in order to not feel that level of deterioration and stress and pain so yeah no not full-blown death just re- again relaying people that once they got out of this hole and started studying ndes and, and death that yeah it, it all pretty much lines up to the same thing mm. Mm. that's an intense intense uh journey you know to have <laughs> everyone has different challenges and turning points and events in their life and they're all relative to to that person and their um, awareness and capacity to experience pain or whatever it is at that point in time something i want to illuminate here is that you could have let all of this overcome you you could have given up um, and even after having to go through recovery and like literally your body's like an organ of your body's been ripped out you didn't let it overcome you Um, Talk us through what you had to face in order to rise through that time. Like what got you through? Mm, yeah. You make a really good point because um, I, for mem- I might butcher this, but for memory, uh, 84% of people that get some type of resection end up going back in for second surgery or, or more. Yeah. Wow. Why? Because the fundamental things don't change. <laughs> yeah. There's no mechanism of action that shifts the compass towards a different, you know, Einstein's famous words, doing the same thing over and over. I'm expecting a different result if they're finishing stupidity and insanity. So, uh, I knew just like that was my big full hammer to the face. Don't wake up, dickhead. Mm. Uh, you got to change. And I was still human in the process. I still fucked it up many times, but there was that still underpinning knowingness of like, okay, you have to change now and get curious about how you went from that and lived that certain way to healing the fundamental reasons as to why it got that way. Mm. So, you know, coming out of it again, you know, I, I just think as a child, for whatever reason, my soul journey has always been one of curiosity, play, joy, love, and experience. And so I wasn't going to let this, you know, catastrophe of an, of an event um, still hold me back because I think I still had all the, those underpinning values of when I saw Dragon Ball Z and I had all these mentors. Sure. Um, God bless my father. You know, he's passed away now and, and, and I have such deep unconditional love for him, but was not my hero. 
because most of the time I'd see the back of his head on the computer screen because he was such a busy worker at being a lawyer and, and being in his firm. So those values still took me through coming out of it. Again, perseverance, discipline, um, but the curiosity, the play, the joy, the love, those all came through too. And then just through learning through some, I, you know, I'm a big, big believer of, you know, don't walk in soft sand if you don't have to walk in the hard sand because people have been there before. So for me, it wasn't about learning everything from scratch. It was just going to who are the best healers on this planet? Who has just simply got the result of taking someone from as sick as you can possibly imagine and allowing them to rebuild their body? Because they still have to do it, right? Mm. Your expression goes like, you know, you lead a horse to water. And so, you know, again, I think with those powerful voices of whether they're mine or someone else's of there's just too much to live for and to do and too much yeah. to give back. Those were the underpinning values for me along with everything else to rebuild my body, rebuild my mind, rebuild my soul, rebuild my emotional body, mental body, all of it. And be the proof, so to speak, to show people who are in that same, you know, experience and same boat that are healing over the toilet bowl, leaving a motor scene, shitting blood left, right and center, that there is hope. Yeah. That you don't have to be put into a box, that there is a way out. And God forbid, I wish I had done it two years earlier. So it would have been like the actual proof of I could have done it without getting cut out. But it's irrelevant because I'm still doing it with other people now and showing them how to do it. Do you think that, um, just to jump in here, that that inherent feeling of, no, like I'm here for something more than this and I'm not going to let this overcome me. Do you think you were born with that? And for people who don't believe that they have that in them, how, how do you think that they cultivate that? That's a really good question. Uh, well, like I said, most people only change through pain or pleasure, right? I change through pain. <laughs> You've changed through pain, right? For sure. But people, and you know, so a lot of people go through, you know, you see and we all have people around us in our lives who it, it appears that they have hit rock bottom and then there's actually another level of rock bottom. <laughs> they hit the bottom and they keep on going. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I suppose I also feel that, you know, not only does this question just apply to, to those people, but there are listeners right now who want to, who have gone through stuff, who have changed, who have overcome things, but you know, maybe they're not really feeling that pull towards something greater or, yep. or something bigger, that, that sort of purpose. So what is how it? Do you how, cultivate how do they that? cultivate that? Yeah. Yeah. This is probably a multi-tiered answer. So let me just start with, I have no right to take people's pain away from them. So maybe they haven't received enough pain in order to change. I would say that's number one. Mm. And like, how dare I impose someone's pain if it can be their greatest teacher. However, I don't believe everyone has to get to my level of death and destruction before they make a change. That's complete bullshit. Uh, however, I'm, I'm certainly not going to deny people's pain if it teaches them something. Um, and gives that opportunity. I'll say two is connect to your why and not in like a pseudo spiritual way. Uh, you know, sometimes when I'm doing uh, talks or, or videos or speech or whatever, I, I say to people, you know, what's your greatest gift? And some people say, you know, it's my kids or it's my PhD or it's my career or something. I say, okay, okay. Cause that's your absolute truth at this moment. And I say, is it possible that your greatest gift is actually your death? That's imminent. And it's your life between your birth and the first breath in and your death of the last breath out. The knowingness of that imminent death is the gift because that's what pushes us into our greatness. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe most people have a fear of failure. I actually believe it's most people have a fear of success and what they're truly capable of and what holds mm -hmm. them back. And everyone's got that little flame inside of them, right? Where they truly want to say and how they truly want to express themselves, but have the fear of judgment or the fear of failure, but also possibly the fear of their greatness. Like mm -hmm. imagine being a soul in a tiny little human body. Holy shit, right? It scares the shit out of people. So, you know, meditate, how do I say meditation's one way? Oh, who the fuck's going to do that now? If I just say meditation, go do it, right? You have to find a way to anchor your why. We change via emotion. Again, Overweight people know how to lose weight. Diet and exercise at a most basic level. They don't do it because there's not that pull and there's no cultivation from deeper within to move the needle and move the compass forward. So all I would say, I think at a most basic level is cultivate your why or anchor yourself in your why and cultivate from that why. Because yeah. if it is your children, some people do g gain massive movement through their children. Yeah. They might get massive movement through whatever it is. And that's the beauty of life is because there's, there's, you know, everyone wants to believe that their way is the right way. And that's the beauty of the dance of life, or as, as the Hindus would call it, the drama of the universe or the drama of God. You have every infinite multiplistic way of experiencing this unique thing called being alive. 
So if you feel stuck, if you feel like you're not moving, you feel like in your comfort bubble, you're requiring change. And whether it's this podcast that inspires or just a little something or plants a seed, or it's mm-hmm. a car crash or someone's death, you don't have to wait for those things. But it's certainly going to say, if you're going to do it from yourself, get fucking serious and stop fooling yourself into the bullshit stories that you tell yourself every single day yeah. and start getting serious with the flame that lives inside of you and cultivate your why from that place and anchor it in a deeper emotion, a deeper something. Yeah. Cause having fucking channel 10 news to you to do something or having, you know, Instagram to you do something or a pretty quote. Yeah. That's all cool. That shit's all cool. But as far as I'm mean, concerned, it's pushing shit uphill. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And there's something I want to add to this to the listeners is that, you know, that often um, if you've been exposed to any kind of talk about your why, you know, there's this, I've experienced a desire to, for that to be some sort of like really pretty rosy, holistic, like, you know, statement, a beautiful statement that I can share with everyone. And they like Mm. praise me for how, how pure I am as a human being. But the reality is it's not that. And you know, your why has to be so real for you. And the moment that you admit that to yourself and it, it might not be what sounds great to everyone else, but it's the thing that, actually drives you and motivates you as your absolute truth as mitch says in this now moment that that's the i think the catalyst to create that yeah. turning point and the the shift so definitely um, yeah and i love that piece that you said about you know in imminent death because as i said it's been a real theme for me it's interesting we're talking about this it's been a real yeah. theme for me turning 30 not that i feel like i'm dying but like holy fuck i you know i could be a third of the way through my life or i'm I'm now at the point where my grandparents may only have 10 to 20 years left. And that's, you know, that's not a long time in the skin things. It is. And it's, and it's not. It isn't, it isn't, yeah. Depending on the lens. Right. Exactly. So and it's a bit like the school assignment, right? We had a three month school assignment. When did you fucking do it? Two nights before, right? Or the night yeah, before. Cause exactly. you were pushed into the importance and the relevance of you know, completing something. So if it's completing yes. a soul journey, or it's completing a passion project and you're not anchoring the, yep, yeah, I'm going to fucking die. My heart's going to stop one day. And that's, that's, a, that's not a fear, that's a gift for being yeah. given this beautiful body to, to co-create. We're creative beings, but what the fuck does that mean? It means every single day you wake up, if you're in a first world country, especially even a developing country, and you have choice. Choice over something far greater than your limiting beliefs, something far greater than your traumas, something far greater than every single excuse you can make and, and cultivate, because I say this with grace, as to why you can't do it. Now there's something else I was gonna say and I forgot. But look, again, same thing applies. Um, mm-hmm. As Tyler Durden would say in Fight Club, this is your life and it's ending one minute at a time. So, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's a gift. So it, it would seem to me that, you know, I've, you know, I've known this why I invited you on the show, but you're someone who's always going to succeed at whatever they do, or at the very least, you have an incredible determination to do so. Um, like, where did that mindset for you come from? Definitely developed. I think I have to rehash the gymnastics and the bodybuilding because discipline is the very thing that you do. The, the difference between commitment and interest, when you're interested in something, you do it when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you'll do it anyway, right? You make a way out of fucking no way and you'll move the whole entire earth if you have to, God forbid, right? See, see a mother that fights for her child, right? Fair one, stand back because the, the lethal nature of a mother that would fight for a child is something that, like even I get a bit scared about, right? The, the, the amount of power in that. So... I think developing discipline is the thing that allows you to go, okay, this is what I'm passionate about. And this is what I feel like I can be committed to, which means I'll get up and my body says, oh no, just 10 more minutes sleep or just tomorrow. And believe me, I'm still subject to that. It's not, I think sometimes when people are talking about success, they act out as if they're not human anymore. I'm still human, yeah. right? I still fuck up and I still make mistakes, but it's just the slow development. I think people think it's this like yin yang, white, black on off switch. of just like, oh, I'm motivated now. Or I'm not motivated now. Man, don't me tell you, some days I just feel like rolling a blunt and sitting on the beach and just smoking a J and just doing nothing, right? And I will because that's what I want to do and I choose to do it. So developing discipline is you know, something that you know, happens over time. And again, yeah. it comes from your choice to want to do something and achieve something, knowing full well that you'll go on the hero's journey. You'll receive 50% light and 50% dark, so to speak, in a very general term. And it, you learn through the good and you learn through the bad. And if you, something good happens to you, you say thank you. And if something bad happens to you, you say thank you. Because lessons yeah. can be derived from both. And that's what helps you grow and keep moving that needle to ultimately grow your spiritual um, nature. Yeah. I think it's past us in 2020 to start you know, allowing people to realize that you know, so many people I see that are trapped and stuck say, is that theme of like, is this all there is? Mm. Right? Is this it? 
Mm. You know, I'm comfortable and I'm and, and things are good, but that's the problem. It's just good. And I think that, you know, in the East and especially, and I'm sure, you know, when you travel to places like Peru and the Mesoamerican civilizations and they'll say the West, it's very simple. The West are completely disconnected from their spirit. Yeah. You're completely locked in here and a prisoner of their own minds. Now I say there's no condescending nature, uh, but that's, that's a core issue here. And we're having people slowly awaken now to their true potential, their true nature, what it means to be a human. And the fine line, I think, between, this is just my personal truth, the fine line between like overly spiritual and forgetting you have a human body, you're not here to be a soul. That's already imminent. You're here to obviously get messy and be a fucking human being, get your hands dirty and, and learn to love the process of creation, which, is, yeah. which has two sides. So, yeah, I think follow the Nike sign, just do it. <laughs> that was ironic. <laughs> Definitely. And, and, you know, you're never going to reach a place of perfection. You're never going to reach a place of you know, never experiencing self-doubt or insecurity or whatever else. It just comes in different waves, different levels. And if you can accept that as a human being, you're going to go through phases in life. You're going to go through seasons and you accept that, and, but you're committed to something bigger than yourself. I think that's, mm. that's part of the key of that mindset of, of yeah. you know, succeeding. Um, Definitely. Oh, so I was going to say is, you know, two key themes, you know, we talk about the label of anxiety and depression and we can go into some fundamental things as to what that means. But I don't want to so much go into what I personally believe it means, because obviously that's going to either trigger people or they're going to agree or disagree. But what I would say is that most of the time when I hear people's healing stories and overcoming these things, there were two central themes. One was learning how to love yourself unconditionally. And that's obviously, that's again, not black, white. I love myself today. I don't, that's usually an ever-growing process of going inwards and learning how to love all parts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um, the second was learning how to become more in tune with the self, the true self, which is the ever-expanding you know, and contracting or ever-moving universe, right? It's the ocean waves. It's how our, our thyroid glands are operating. I don't have to think about how I produce thyroid hormone. I don't have to think about how my pituitary gland works. It just fucking happens, right? And that intelligence, when people I find are more attuned to that, that's when they start to realize a lot of their problems were self-created. And again, the mind kind of cock blocked them and, and they were able to get in their own way. And so coming out of that was losing more of their ego self and coming back more into nature, harmony, their true self, and still maintaining uh, an individual aspect of, of, of their being. So, Brian, I think, you know, this has been a little bit of talking about success here, about your challenges and journeys, but one thing I really want to achieve with this podcast is to inspire people to redefine success for themselves because I feel as though so many humans are still trying to create success based on what they were told or conditioned that it is, uh, where it's actually a deeply personal and individual thing and feeling. So like, what does success mean to you? I have to make some like esoteric thing that no one will understand, like being in your truth. If you're doing shit right now that's stressing you and you know it's going against the grain of what you, the soul always knows, right? It's the seat of the soul that's the slow, it's the calm, it always knows. That's why we say we follow a gut feeling, follow our intuition, but then we listen to our fucking mind and we go, damn it, why did I do that thing? Mm. Um, success to me means being in your absolute truth. Mm -hmm. And let that cultivate whatever that means for you, right? I don't want to yeah. be a, you know, uh, the dictator that tells me what success is, find out what it means to you. But for me, and I think to guide that process or to facilitate that process is you already know it. You're yeah. probably just not doing it or you're probably not going to the places you're avoiding in order to find out who you truly are and how you could cultivate sex from that success from that place. The, the yeah. test of finding out who you really are. Beyond the stories, like you said, beyond the conditioning, beyond the, you know, you're not this enough or you're too much this, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's breaking the bonds from that. There's this old Zionist expression of like, you know, show me a boy and how he lives from the age up until seven and I'll show you the man he's going to become. Mm. Right. But that, that's showing you the central theme of, of being locked into something from, from birth. If you're programmed, you're downloading all this. This is how you should speak. This is how you should act. Shut up, Johnny. Don't do that. Mom doesn't like this. The government telling you this religion telling you that. And then you pretty much live in that cog, right? So yeah. a lot of the time it's breaking those bonds from the ego, which loves predictability. Often people choose chaos over harmony just because the chaos is predictable. So therefore that feels safe and it's yeah. at their own demise. So it's like breaking those invisible bonds of um, our ego self and again, finding out who we really are. And, that, and that's how we cultivate our vision of success. In, in life yeah. Country. And the, the illusion of safety is being ripped away from many people right now with the world oh, events. Time. And I, I, you know, I don't want to really dive into that too much, but I think that this is, really uh, because it's being spoken about everywhere right now so i think that you know the themes that we've spoken about you know going to help people in this position to to really sort of work through these kinds of things mm. so 
I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you, you mentioned plant medicine earlier yeah. and uh, it wasn't probably my intention to, to dive into this on this show, but it, it feels like it's the right time to go into it. So, you know, what is that for anyone listening? Obviously, I've got experience with many different plant medicines, ayahuasca, mushrooms, all of those sorts of things. Mm. Tell us about your journey, a bit of a snapshot of your journey with those and, and what they've given you uh, in your growth and how they've helped you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the 17-year-old me uh, would have been, you know, pro-plant medicine and pro this and pro that and all that kind of stuff. And very much right how Joe Rogan was in his early days, right? Pro-cannabis and pro this. And, you know, again, I'm going to bring it back to individual free will and free choice, education and responsibility and safety. Mm. I kind of want to lay the foundation with that. Plant medicines. And I, and I say plant medicines because we could easily call them drugs. Right? So I say, oh, mushrooms are drug and this is a drug. Well, fuck, you know, if, if, it's, if it's inducing some sort of uh, physiological and psychological effect, we could argue the same thing for a fucking Domino's pizza. So I, I very, very um, specifically use the term plant medicines because one, it's a plant, of course, and it, uh, the medicine implies it has some kind of medicinal value, whether that's mm. healing or that that's uh, moving you into discomfort to find some more type of healing because it's not all pretty, as you know. Um, if you're up for an IA journey, you're usually ready to vomit your guts up and shit your pants. So curiosity has to be the central theme, I think, for people that are out there that haven't gotten into that space. You have to want to be curious, right? If anyone is pushing you into that and, and you know, against, again, your free sovereign will, it may cause issues for you, perhaps. Um, it's okay to be nervous and a bit scared for these things because that means it's real. And it means that you're moving outside of your comfort zone. So if you're feeling anxiety, beautiful. You, that means you, you're doing it right, right? For me, you know, I see plant medicines now really as like, uh, I had a joke with someone actually last week um, about them being like a pair of Nike shoes. You know, going for a run's great in barefooted, but you know what feels better? Putting on a fucking pair of Air Maxes or a pair of Nikes, right? So it's like, they're just tools to help you. Yeah. Old me would have put them on a pedestal and ayahuasca and mushrooms and DMT, right? And it again, this like uh, almost Dunning-Kruger of like, they're, they're, they're going to save the world and they give you all the answers. And believe me, they're pretty fucking powerful, as you know. But from personal experience, they can be complete life changes. I've seen people demolish trauma overnight in one session. I mean, Johns Hopkins are releasing all this stuff now anyway, so this is not old news. Mm. Um, to really answer the question, for me, they've just been beautiful tools, really, mm. really beautiful tools. As long as I knew from the get-go that I wasn't relying on them. Yeah. I wasn't trying to build myself on stilts where, you know, one short blow could have just completely allowed the house of cards to fall down. They've been amazing tools. There's a certain level of respect and reverence that I think need to be applied to plant medicines. And especially the more, you know, the, the more uh, traditional ones like Arbogain and, and Ayahuasca. Mushrooms are becoming more popular. You know, still, I wouldn't say dangers, but if they're used irresponsibly, they can send people into, you know, not so nice experiences. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, yeah. And, you know, we had all the, the clinical research that was doing profoundly well work in this, I think the sixties and seventies of the Timothy Leary's and the, you know, um, oh God, I kind of, I'm going to butcher all the names. I can't remember half of them, but when that all got shut down, you know, putting cocaine and, 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 and psilocybin mushrooms in the same category, that was a huge disservice to humanity. That was a huge disservice to consciousness. Mm. And what's happening now is you're seeing the reemergence of the suppression of consciousness because, you know, people that have a free mind and a free soul and a free spirit are very hard to control. Yeah. People that are very easily manipulated by fear, which is, I think, you know, not that again, we want to talk about it, but it's a central thing that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Plant medicines are a way to very, very, uh, I won't say easily, but it can be a huge catalyst for that growth. Yeah. It can be a huge catalyst for breaking the bond of who you think you are based on all the programming of society and starting to, again, venture into yourself. Yeah. And if you've got a sign, a lot of the time I find ironically the intellectual mind you know talking about the aversion to it and all that kind of stuff and if you're a true scientist you, you should want to delve into this stuff and that's what you're seeing now is people finally giving up their bravado of you know this and then realizing they didn't know shit like there's shit we know because we're a very intelligent species of course we've, we've done amazing things like the shit we know which i call a little then the shit we don't know which is a lot and the shit we don't know that we don't know which is probably infinite mm. and psychedelics and plant medicines are one way of accessing that so when you come back to yourself into your ordinary sense of conscious you get your ass handed to you a little bit and you go well yeah i guess i don't know that much and um yeah that that could that can change your life to the most subtle way of if someone gets triggered and is angry at you instead of backlashing you can actually be more compassionate someone cuts you off in traffic instead of going fuck you it's oh you know what that guy his wife might be pregnant giving labor fucking go brother you know yeah. and it shifts the way you view the world it shifts the lens it's like a kaleidoscope things start shifting for you so 
And I think probably the last way of, of how they've helped me is just a deepening understanding of, of myself, which is the self. Being more loving, being more compassionate. I'm not always perfect. That's another ironic thing. They teach you to be more human and yeah. accept all the parts of you that you don't want to accept, like shame, apathy, guilt, greed, you know, evil. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think circumventing all of this, if people are interested in it and they're hearing about it and they haven't done it and it's something that they're, it's like when you peek over the thing, it's like, ooh. You know, you pick up the fence and you see grandma's next door neighbor's backyard and tomato plant or is if you're curious, you know, be safe and be responsible. Yeah. Good sound uh, words about um, something that, you know, it's uh, I I just posted the other day, the there's been FDA trials, um, clinical trials around the use of psilocybin to treat Mm. uh, depression. And, you know, it's it's pretty much approved to go ahead with these trials and clinical studies and, and they'll be using psilocybin in a pharmaceutical sense to to help people handle some of these challenges that they come up 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 against in life and i know for me it's been huge there've been huge tools to to use in my journey to first of all unlock a deeper awareness of the fact that there is more than what i was currently seeing and then you know just as you said, it, it takes you on a takes you on a, a whole different journey. So I was I was excited to share that because I think um you know it, it's a it's a little bit of a taboo topic still in modern day society, and I, I really want to c- contribute to that being uh, yeah. And I, I don't even buy sorry to interrupt. I don't even buy into that anymore. I don't even buy into this idea that it's a taboo subject anymore. The fact that it is taboo, I think, is the the, the conversation we should be having now, yeah. right? You know, I think early two thousands was when it was like, oh, you do mushrooms, you know, it's like, oh, you're crazy. It's only for the crazies, right? Because it's taken a while for culture since Nixon did all that, you know, bullshit work of, of declaring the war on drugs. And the failure of it is it takes a while for people to kind of catch up to the narrative. Of course, we have a mainstream cultural belief. So I think earlier 2000s, it was like, oh, the hippies are back. You're crazy if you do it. You might jump up a third story building. And then 2010, it was like, holy shit. Well, have you seen these fucking studies come out of Johns Hopkins? They're actually fucking amazing. They're making yeah, yeah. You know, all these pharmaceutical drugs look like, you know, a fucking terrible rainy day. Yeah. And, you know, I even did, uh, I've got actually a highlight on my Instagram. If anyone's interested, you know, I deeply into the science of, I went to the JAMA and, and, and PubMed of, of just the failure of antidepressants, the failure. And this is not me saying it. This is many prestigious medical doctors. And that's not to say that they haven't been. That's something for someone at some point in time. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That doesn't mean there wasn't a better way. Because at the end of the day, I deeply care for humanity. I deeply care for the well-being on the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual level of all human beings on this planet. So uh, the conversations need to be changed, and they are changing. You have beautiful guys like Aubrey Marcus and all these guys, and, 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 and plenty of people from JNU, that, uh, JHU, sorry, that are, that are changing this narrative. So it's definitely, yeah. we're definitely evolving. Good things are happening, and I trust the process. I agree. Yeah. Well, Mitch, um, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, one final question I like to all ask all the guests is, uh, what is the thing you find most interesting about yourself? Uh, the first thing that comes up is the appeal to authority, that the mischievous rebel that I think everyone has, but it's like super potent in me, um, <laughs> the mischievous rebel that doesn't do it in a vindictive way, but yeah. certainly is not like, you know, do it this way. Well, it's like, why? <laughs> why are you telling me to do this way when I could do it another way? Um, I would say the most interesting thing is probably my, it was a bit ironic. Like my most interesting is my curiosity to be interested. Yeah. And I, that's what I would leave this with is, you know, stay curious. Mm. The inner child that we see always, we see, you know, children walk around, they're always doing that wonder and awe of curiosity and they're in their fullest expression. They don't give a shit what anyone thinks about them until they're programmed. Right. Mm. So for me, the most interesting aspect of that is being able to hold that sense of expression or hold that sense of curiosity. And I would invite and encourage anyone listening to perhaps reconnect with that if they've felt like they've been um, perhaps not using their voice or being in their fullest expression. So, Stay curious, fam. That's a good way to go out. Stay curious. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks for thanks so much again for joining me, bro. Um, and and I really appreciate it. I'll drop all your um, all your socials and everything in the at the end. And uh, thanks for listening. And um, yeah, and and just real quick, sorry to interrupt for, to end that on so beautifully. But if there's anyone out there that is really suffering with IBD and IBS, I have this is not a, this is a shameless plug because I don't give a fuck. Like I actually help people, and I really love helping people. Um, is I have a beautiful program that um, helps people teach them how to reverse, overcome, and heal from IBD and or IBS in the multifaceted approach um, to healing. So I just wanted to put that shamelessly in there. It's not to pump my own business up. It's because there are people walking the planet Mm -hmm. right now shitting blood in so much pain 
that I, I wanted to put that opportunity out for people just to get in contact. For sure. Amazing. Thanks so much, bro. Thank you, brother. Have a beautiful day. Mwah. Big love to you. Well, listeners, that's it for episode two of the Alex Waters Show. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree with me. It was a great, great conversation I had with Mitch. Um, highly recommend looking him up on Instagram at Mitchell Vicarage. Uh, he's posted some great content, great memes, and um, I, I do uh, I do back up what he said that if you are someone suffering with IBS, um, you know, gut issues definitely he's someone that can help so please do reach out um, i know from my own personal experience of just you know gut health stuff and and bloating and whatever else it's it's just it's just a huge inconvenience to your life and for some people it's actually a real serious issue so um, highly recommend getting help there and as always you can find me on instagram at alexander waters uh, that's probably the best place to connect with me because i don't really go on any other social media so i'll be there That's it for episode two. Uh, Looking forward to next week's episode. Um, We've got uh, Navar Pool, really cool dude coming up. Um, Once again, fascinating, fascinating story. So I'll see you on next week's episode of the Alex Waters Show.